Shelley, how are you? Where are you? I'm great, thank you, Baden. Just chilling out in a little urban park in the neighbourhood of Suquillo, which is a, a sort of zone of Lima, a big capital city here in Peru. So, um, yeah, it's nice to escape some of the busy roads and sit sit down here. It's a it's a kind of modest neighbourhood. I mean, it's very nice compared to some of the other places we've been in Peru, but um, it's you know probably not the most salubrious neighbourhood, but it's got a quite a cheerful vibe to it and lots of friendly people. The guidebook said we shouldn't come here, only in a taxi. <laughs> That's ridiculous, it's very safe. <laughs> Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we pedal from London, which is where we live for seven years, to the Hutt Valley of New Zealand, where my mum and dad live. In breaking news, we're coming to you pre-recorded and direct from Lima, Peru. We have finally arrived and we are in the lovely suburb of Miraflores, which I'm pretty sure literally translates to, look, flowers. Um, and we're outside the door of our host, 923A, uh, ringing the doorbell. He's not home at the moment, but that's okay. We're just happy to be here. Yeah, we're pretty filthy. We just like, uh, well, I mean, riding through uh, Lima around the port area, wrestling with all these trucks, the drivers literally hate cyclists, but we've made it. We've somehow come through and I don't know, I, um, I've got like these white sleeves protecting me from the sun and I wiped my forehead with them. Those white sleeves are now black. Yeah, we're covered in filth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's disgusting. I can see it all over your face as well. Okay, so yeah, and, and, and even bigger news than, uh, and than this. Uh, this is the end of the road in Latin America. Our trip is going to be London to Lima. It's quite alliterative, which is uh, quite nice, and uh, uh, been in the planning for a while. We've ridden now 1,300, what, 13,000, what, 200, 300, 13,300 kilometers through 19 countries, um, and we've spent 327 days so far on the road. Oh, congratulations, Shell. Yeah, and enhorabuena to you too, Baden. We've done pretty well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing trip. It really has been amazing. So, you know, why are we unclipping the panniers here in Lima? Well, our original plan was to cycle to Buenos Aires, but over the last kind of couple of months, we've actually felt like and decided that a year is enough. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, I personally feel a little homesick and maybe have a bit of travel fatigue. It's so much moving around and I kind of feel like I need a bit of stability in my life. Yeah, we, we both feel tired and and also we've got plans. We've got plans for um, our new life in New Zealand and we're really excited and we kind of want to just get stuck into some of those really and apply some of the things that we've learned on this trip uh, for our lives, our, our new lives off the bike. Although we're not going to be off the bike that much. <laughs> And, you know, don't worry, this decision hasn't come because we've had some massive fight or anything. Um, and besides, the cycling and the podcasting is going to continue in the South Island of New Zealand. Yeah, so many interesting things have happened since the last podcast. So, on with the show. I certainly did not expect to be standing in falling snow when I got out of bed this morning in Katak. We're here in one of the 755 snowy peaks of the Cordillera Blanca 
staring at a glacier. Yeah, we're at 5,300 meters high. Oh. Um, I'll break the good news is that we didn't cycle here. <laughs> we cycled up to about 4,100. And then uh, the guys at the uh, control station for this national park, we're in the Hawaskara National Park here. They said, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough to cycle up there. And so our bus came. We said, can we whack our bikes in the bus? Yeah, sure. What a relief. Yeah, <sighs> Although it was quite funny, wasn't it? Because the bus had some kind of ele electrical problem and it ended up going about the speed that we might have been going <laughs> if we'd cycled. Yeah. It was going about 9k an hour. Okay, faster than us, but man just talking is making my brain hurt yeah we're not sort of acclimatized to this high we're sort of getting used to 4,000 but yes yeah, very unexpected we um saw a sign for this national park as we were cycling up the road and thought oh yeah give it a crack and then the road was really difficult as we pushed along and then uh well we just got the bus <laughs> why not but it's uh i've never seen a glacier before no nope. and it's pretty strange to be right next to one and what is a meant to be a um, tropical. a tropical mountain range? <laughs> Very weird. It's um, apparently disappearing, sadly, like I'm sure many glaciers are in in the world. Um, and uh, our guide, guy, the guy who's driving the bus, told us that it might be gone within ten to fifteen years. So we're looking at the information board, and the picture of it drawn here, it already looks different from from this picture here. It's already disappearing. So the lagoon that you know helps create the glacier is has grown by forty four times in the last sort of fifteen years. So it's definitely disappearing. <laughs> We're not so spontaneous, I would say, but today was definitely a day full of surprises. Hey, baby. Yeah, I didn't really expect to be lying here. I mean, lying down is probably not the optimal podcasting position. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm lying down in Terry the tent, and we are camping tonight at 4,100 meters in the Cordillera Blanca. We haven't camped this high before. But, uh, Terry's doing a great job. It's pretty warm. It's nice. It's really nice. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we didn't really expect to be here, sort of camped up next to the National Park entry gate. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. We, we left the um, glacier behind and um, my head was really throbbing and it was snowing and it w wasn't, I don't know, we just didn't feel up for it. So we decided that we were going to go back to the town we stayed in last night on the bus. So we weren't going to ride down the mountain. Yeah, so um, we're quite proud of our decision, really. Yeah. We thought, oh, you know, because it was getting pretty miserable. Yeah. It was snowing quite heavily. It was a bit of rain there as well, and windy, and the temperature was dropping. You know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. But those electrical problems we mentioned with the bus had persisted, and while we're, everyone on the bus was up looking at the glacier, the bus driver was failing to uh, <laughs> fix those electrical problems and had to ring in to call for another bus which was going to take three hours to arrive. And then when this news was passed on to our fellow passengers, uh, the atmosphere kind of <laughs> went a bit sour. <laughs> so we looked out the window and saw that actually it had stopped snowing and it was kind of clearing up. And we looked at our watches and thought, okay, it's only 3.34 o'clock. We might be able to get back down to the control point before the sun goes down. Yeah, um, you know, the, the, it's, it's been a pretty rough road. That's why we didn't cycle all the way up to the, the glacier. 
Um, but yeah, we thought, yeah, maybe the better go back to plan B. We had a bit of food in our pannier that we could make a dinner out of. So uh, yeah, we decided to come down the hill and it didn't take long for us to realize that it was a really good decision to do so. The light was amazing in, in the late evening and this is one of the most beautiful places I've seen in my life. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was strange because on the way up in the bus, it was beautiful, but on the way down, everything just seemed more immediate and clearer and closer from the bike. Yeah, I think you know, it made me have a deeper understanding for you know why you know cycle touring gives you that gr deeper connection with the land and your surroundings. You yeah. know, you experience it much different behind a piece of glass yeah, than yeah. you do when you're um, out in the air on your bike. Yeah, because we startled a couple of these gorgeous birds. I don't know what they're called, but they. They flew across the sort of um, in front of the mountain range and they had these beautiful big black and white wings. And we also saw a man on a horse um, uh, crossing the valley floor kind of by himself and it just looked so picturesque and amazing. Yeah, it was really beautiful. We you know, also um, they went past these indigenous flowers they have up here. It's the world's tallest flower. It grows up to 11 meters. And what's it called? Puna? Puya. And uh, yeah, these flowers, um, they're indigenous to this particular area in the Cordillera Blanca in, in Peru. And uh, they only flower once in their lifetime. And <laughs> how long do they live for? Up to 100 years. Up to 100 years. Yeah. So yeah, the ones that we were seeing were like the the ones that had flowered and were in the process of dying. Yeah, once they flower, they only flower once in their whole lives, but they're so sculptural and incredible on the hillside. Yeah. So it was a, it was an amazing ride down and we didn't regret it for a second. And then when we arrived here, the sun still hadn't set. And in fact, it came out and we had a beautiful sunset. And there was a rainbow, a <laughs> rainbow, a really bright rainbow, like popped up in front of one of the snowy peaks. Oh, uh, just, I mean... It's one of these days where you just realize uh, you know, how lucky you are. Yeah. And if you're wondering about the people we left behind up on the mountain, they came past in, in the rescue bus about half an hour ago, two hours after we arrived down here. Yeah, poor buggers. We're standing here above Laguna de Conococha, and this is quite a fitting end for us for our highland adventure here in Peru. You know, we've done this little detour and our dash down the coast. It turned out to be a real hard detour. So we're here at 4,000, 4,500, no, what is it? 4,050 meters above sea level. And the whole way since we left the coast to come up into the mountains up here into the Cordillera Blanca is uh, we've been following the Rio Santa, the, the Santa River, the whole way up. And it's been a whole gradual thing. And now we're at what is essentially the source of the river. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing to see. Um, it's been a yeah, constant presence throughout our, our journey up here into the mountains. And I think, f you know, we've kind of realized that this river has been a really important part of the trip. And is really such an important link between the mountains and those deserts on the coast um, and is important to all the communities along the way. Yeah, I mean, which way should we look at it? Should we look at it as we sort of go down the mountain? Yeah, yeah because it's been sort of rushing at various points and they've slowed it down in some places. And, you know, um, we haven't had to 
have so much um, bottled water up here because it's so plentiful obviously and last night it was raining cats and dogs so you know there, there's no shortage of water up here and then as you go down the uh, down the river further down in the Duck Canyon area that's where they've got all these hydro plants trying to take the energy from the river you know the, the great energy that it has when it you know, comes down from 4,000 meters but then you know you got to wonder because as you go lower below Duck Canyon it's very dry it's very deserty and so you wonder what effect that hydro project is having on the on what sort of downstream effects it has because it's very dry down there isn't it yeah I mean they are putting a lot of investment into a canal project which we passed on our on yeah, our journey the, right in the foothills wasn't it yeah. you know before climbing up to 500 meters this big canal project which the idea of it was to um, supply water for three towns or cities uh, down on the coast there because yeah. you know we, we, when we're down on the coast we experience water outages because there's so little of it um, you know in Trujillo for example the water was out what between eight at night and two in the morning um, another town we were in um, Chiclayo the, the water was um, just randomly out in the middle of the afternoon. No, Shelley got her shower in, and when it was time for my shower, oh, there's nothing coming out of the out of the tap. So, and then you ask the guys there, oh, what's the story? And they say, oh, yeah, this just happens, you know, like, you know, the council just automatically shuts off the water. You know, in Suyana, yeah. you know, further, further north in the more, way more deserty parts. Well, actually, it was all desert down the coast, isn't it? But in another sort of deserty part in Suyana, we stayed with the guy who runs a hotel and he's had to close his hotel because he doesn't have water. Mm. You know, you, you need water if you're going to run a hotel. Mm. And so it, it, is a, it is a real big problem here, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not a new problem either because when we went to the amazing pre-Columbian city of Chan Chan, which we featured in the last episode, um, you know, they were a people that relied heavily on agriculture and they had to manage water very carefully as well. So, you know, for the past few thousand years, while people have been living on these desert sort of areas on the coast, they've had to, you know, be very mindful. Um, you know, the Ch in Chan Chan, the Chimu people had big reservoirs and a huge network of canals using a Santa, Rio Santa, no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's such a precious resource. And it's going to be interesting now because we're going to drop 4,000 metres today back down to the coast. No doubt we'll be following some other river um, as we you know, go down the hill. And it'll be interesting to see you know, the effects of it um, as we get back down to the coast and you know, what the water situation is going to be like there. But before we head down, it's just a nice opportunity this morning to admire the beautiful lagoon spread out in front of us and all of the gorgeous mountains all around it. And maybe it'll be, I hope it'll be a little bit warmer down there because it's freezing. Yeah, we're here in Suquillo. It's um, this lovely little leafy suburb right near the highly fashionable Miraflores suburb. And I think, I think this is where um, the people of the next pay bracket down live. <laughs> and then further you go towards the mountain, the pay gets lower and lower and the quality of the buildings get lower and lower it's just uh, it's just sort of how big cities fan out like this and I think Lima is no exception to that you know our first couple of days here we didn't see where the poor people lived until yesterday and it was quite strange really you know well where, where are the 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 down and outs and struggles because every other place we've been in Peru it's been sort of right there in your face it's extremely obvious 
but um, yeah, yesterday we finally saw where you know the working people of Lima live, and yeah, that it's not all you know glassy buildings and posh cafes. Yeah, it's strange because we've cycled from the north down here, and um, we haven't seen anything like this really at all. Uh, even in the slightly bigger cities like Trujillo, we it was still just um, buildings made from you know breeze blocks and with bits of um, steel uh, rod sticking out of them and half finished. A lot of buildings just half finished. Yeah, and so someone's living in the third floor, but then the next three floors above are just kind of shell. Um, and then you come here to Lima, and it's it's quite gleaming and nice. And especially we rode in along the Malikon, and um, it was quite gorgeous, wasn't it? So yeah. real mixed expat community as well. Um, you know, lots of Americans. You hear a few American accents when you're down in the middle of Florida's region, um, but lots of Europeans as well. French, Italian restaurants and German beer houses. Um, you know, it's well. Uh, Lima has, I guess, always been historically a city that attracts all comers, right? It's, it's quite a significant, historically powerful city here in South America. Yeah, and when we went into the centre of the city and visited the Plaza de Armas, um, the main square, the the buildings that surround you are old, you know, they're, I don't know how old, three, four, five hundred years old, and they are imposing and they have a lot of power and, you know, you've just, you just feel this strong, forceful, institutional vibe from the city in the centre. And, you know, it has been a really important place of commerce. I mean, I was reading a book um, the other day that was talking about how um, it was such an important port for the slave trade and people made fortunes off that. Um, so yeah, people have been coming to Lima for hundreds and hundreds of years to make money and I think that continues to this day really judging by all of the you know wealth we've seen. We've seen so many nice cars here, more than we've seen in the rest of Peru put together. They're really behind on the old cycling though, aren't they? Yeah. You know, cycling, um, yeah, we saw a bit of it when we were here on the weekend. Um, you know, guys dressed up in the Lycras, mostly mountain bikes actually, but the drivers really show no respect for cyclists. There's one um, cycle lane that goes through the centre of the town, but other than that, it's, um, yeah, you've really got to be, have your wits about you. It felt like sort of back streets London coming in here, you know, yeah. wrestling with the traffic. And, and Remember how we came in on the Mullicon and they have a um, cycle lane down there, and I think it was a Sunday, wasn't it? Was it a Sunday? Yeah. And there was no one else using it, no one else down there doing any kind of recreation. Yeah, it was, it was strange, wasn't it? That, um, you know, a lot of, we've seen Bogota, we've seen Quito, these other sort of big South American cities where the you know, cycling has uh, really taken off. But yeah, Lima still hasn't come there yet, and I think it probably has a lot to do with the attitudes of the drivers. Yeah, I mean, we are staying here in Suquillo with. Um, our host Andres from the Warm Showers website and he came to uh, meet us at a local restaurant here to show us where his place was and let us in and he had just had a really bad fall off his bike. Yeah, what, what, I couldn't quite understand what he did. I think he um, had to brake all of a sudden and then he put his ankle down. I think someone cut him off or something. Yeah, someone cut him off. He had to put his ankle down, then his knee went over his ankle and really twisted it and he just oh. basically ruined all the uh, ligaments in his ankle. So the poor guy, he's got a very small apartment. <laughs> We've been sort of sleeping in a shoe cupboard. 
um, maybe his walk-in wardrobe almost. Yeah. Uh, and if you need to go to the toilet, I have to sit up and move my mattress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's all very cozy. But poor Andres, the whole time we've been there, he's just had to have his leg up with ice and. Um, no, we've gone off in the morning and got him his breakfast and, st- and his newspaper and brought it back to me. He's just completely immobile. We're just trying to be helpful, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame really because he's such a nice guy. He knows so much about Peru and, and Lima. He's a very passionate guy and, he's, and I think he's really gutted that he's just bedridden and he really wants to show us around. He keeps giving us recommendations and he's quite, he's I think he's got quite a lot of energy and so I think it's difficult for him to just lie still <laughs> and watch movies all day. But you know, while he is stuck in bed, um, you know, when we've been riding down through Peru, the, the elections are approaching and there's been just in our face the entire time with all of the slogans painted. So I think that the parties go into towns and they basically say to people, Look, we'll paint up your house. We'll give your house a paint job. It's going to be, it's going to say Keiko, but at least it's going to be freshly painted. Are you up yeah. for that? And I think people just say, yeah, okay, sounds good. Yeah. And like almost every surface is painted. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ugly, really. Yeah. And the, yeah, these names are so prominent as you come, you know, as you've, the route that we've taken down from the north. It's big words, Alan, Acuna, Keiko. They all go on first names here as well. Oh, Acuna is a second name. But yeah, there's a lot of the sort of first name thing going on with their politicians to be all matey. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's a bit creepy. And actually when you come into Lima they have proper election billboards like we're familiar with. You know, yeah, no one yeah. wants their house painted with Keiko Fujimori <laughs> on the side of it. But you know, you see all these names and of course it makes you wonder who are these people, you know. So while Andres was kinda of trapped in his bed where you know, you thought maybe you could ask him a couple of questions about it. Yeah, we sort of cornered him on sort of the questions that we had, you know, like coming down, um, you know, Keiko Fujimori, like no, I've only had a sort of a passing knowledge of Peruvian politics, you know, things you sort of pick up. But what I did know was that her father well, I knew the Fu- Fujimori name was completely dodgy and um, looked into it and yeah when he was uh, prime minister I think it was the 90s he really turned around the economy basically siding, sidling up with the IMF he he said that he he ran for um, president saying that he wasn't going to inflict austerity measures measures and then as soon as he got in austerity oh, okay. yeah but the result of it um, really saw the economy take off but then he got all cocky and he was embezzling money from the state. He um, had to go, he was sent in exile back to Japan. and um, so, the, so it was a Japanese person who was president? Yeah, so um, there is a big history here in Peru of Asian immigration. And um, apparently in the Chinatown part of central Lima, like 40 years ago, you didn't hear any Spanish being spoken. There was lots of Chinese and Japanese traders, and Alberto Fujimori was like an agro- agronomist. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, uh, and then yeah, he just sort of involved himself with society and came up, and then yeah, was president. Then got cocky and carried away, and he's now in jail, serving like a twenty-year um, sentence. And so Keiko's his daughter. And Keiko is his daughter and running for election. And I've asked people, so if, if she gets in and she's head of the polls, she's, she's on like 34%. She needs 50% to avoid a runoff. Um, but she's well ahead in the polls. And if she goes on to win, as sort of expected, I've been asking people, you know, do, will they let Fujimori out of jail? And 
no one no one knows or, and the other, and the weird thing is no one really cares so there's another candidate as well this guy Alan Garcia and um, the first time that he was president he had to go to uh, he was sent to exile in um, Paris for cooking the books hmm. So, and he, he's running again. But he was president again later on, wasn't he? Yeah. And people so liked he, him he after that. He came back, and then he was president again in the 90s, and he did not a bad job. It still wasn't great, apparently. Okay, but. and then there's Acuna, who's I've been seeing on the news dodgy too. Yeah, Acuna, uh, Acuna Matata, um, <laughs> as Shelley calls him. Um, he runs a whole lot of private universities, and he's, um, you see all these headlines, Acuna, and then in um, speech marks, you know, like inverted commas, inverted commas copy and paste, because he's <laughs> in, in, in English, copy and paste. Oh, okay. And apparently he's, uh, he's been accused of plagiarism uh, several times. And then there's another, this other candidate, Julio Guzman, and he's meant to be the anti-establishment candidate, even though he was a minister uh, for a short time in the current government. Mm. He... Um, is being banned from running by the Supreme Court. Um, he's actually second in the polls still, even though it's not sure whether he'll be on the ballot. And and the thing with him is that um, he apparently when he was registering the party, he filled out his membership wrong. Oh, so and went, Technicality. Exactly, and it went to the Supreme Court, and they said, well, no, you can't run. And so... It looks like it'll probably probably get overturned at some point, but still, it's okay, uh, hang on, so hang this politics, all these politics, this, is crazy, right? I mean, there's all these, sh- from my point of view, sh- quite shady candidates here. How how is this a, how is this a thing here? Well, that's exactly what I asked Andres. You know why people have such short memories? In the Andes, you don't know, in the jungle, nobody knows about Fujimori. They a person goes and give you a t-shirt or give you a milk, I'm going to work with this person. It's a, I'm too lot of people, it's, it's analfabeta. They don't know to write, uh, they don't have, they put the only X in the face. Yeah. You know? a, a, a little, a nice face. They, they put a face, they don't know fa- nothing. So, so in Lima, is Keiko Fujimori, Alan Garcia, not very popular? Uh, Keiko is very popular in in the out of Lima because his father has um, a lot of school, a lot of hospitals, and a lot of roads to the, the small uh, for the small uh, village for the small village in the jungle in Andes. They remember that. Because the, the, the new person's good both say, ah, my father told me that Fujimori make uh, this role. My father said that Fujimori did miss the church or that. They remember Fujimori like that. But they don't care that he's in jail. No, not care. Not care because here we say in Spanish, que robe, pero que haga obra. In English, it's good to rob her. But is is good to he make something good. Ah, uh, so if because it, all going to Roma. 
all, all, all the, all is going all the politicians are going to rob you, but all, as long as they all, do something good, yes, we don't care. We don't care. That's the idea. We have talked to a few people as we've been riding through Peru about the election, um, just because we're so curious about what people think. And sometimes people are quite reluctant to talk to us about it and others are very verbose. But what do we think that voters want? It seems to be very local. People just want their local city to get some nice roads, get some decent infrastructure. They, they, people get quite proud of infrastructure. And things here, it's quite expensive to send your kid to school. It's quite expensive to go to the hospital. Things also, like the currency, people are worried about the value of the soul, the, the money here. Um, it's either too high or too low. You know, everyone knows uh, what the current exchange rate is with the US dollar. So the, current, you know, the currency and how that reflects the strength of the economy. Mining is a, is a thing here that really splits communities, especially in the indigenous areas. So... You know, candidate promises on things like that all all make a difference. Um, but for Andres, there were two main priorities for him. I think the insecurity, the insecurity, security, in the security is is very bad in all places, uh, and the corruption, no corruption, security and corruption, security and corruption. So, well, are some places not safe enough. Ah, uh, yes, in the north, Chiclayo, Trujillo. Not for various, no. The person who have a, um, a a restaurant, the person who have a school, the person who have a ch- uh, any anything, they they have to pay a tribute all the amount for, for, for this mafia. Uh, if you don't pay, I'm going to send you bombs, uh, kill your wife, and the other persons. Pay, pay, pay. The taxes, all the taxes, pay. One, two soles diarios each day to don't rob the car, don't probably nothing. But you do a, a hundred thousand mil of car or taxis, that's a mafia. That's a lot and of money. A, a person who pay a taxi, pay two or three mafias. It's getting close, right? When is the election? I think it's April the 10th, around that time. And uh, so what will happen is if, if one candidate, say Keiko Fujimori, if she doesn't get over 50%, then it'll go into a runoff between the first and second candidate. So, and currently that is Keiko and Julio Guzman, right? Yeah, but if Julio Guzman can't gets kicked, um, out, gets of kicked out of the running, <laughs> then it could be any of Pepe, Pepe K, Pepe K, um, Acuna, Matata, or Alan Garcia. So it's a real lottery. One of the great things about the city of Lima is the food. It's uh, recently become one of the sort of culinary capitals of the world and fast growing in that way anyway. There's lots of Michelin star restaurants around now and and the style of food here. You know, it's a lot of it's centered around fish and ceviche and Andean recipes are uh, being repeated and copied around the world, especially in London. It's a very cool hipster thing to be eating Peruvian food. And so, um, but for us as cycle tourists on a modest budget and basically being tight asses, we um, not going to be splashing out on Michelin star restaurants. Instead, we want us to see what people eat on the street. And uh, there are apparently lots of uh, lovely things that um, people just eat for very cheap here on the street that's just kind of nice and different. 
And so what we're doing now in our neighborhood where we've been staying in Sokillo is walking um, to one of these typical Peruvian breakfast bars. Buenos dias. Una moliente y huevo y queso. Muy bien. So we've got two big barrels here of concoctions. What I've ordered is um, the sort of mix emoliente. It's like avena, which are oats. Yeah, con uh, aloe vera. And it's really cool how he scrapes down the aloe vera. So it's a mix of que uh, contienen uh, aloe y emoliente con uña de gato, polen, miel de abeja y sangre de drago, que es de un árbol, de una corteza. Okay, so there is the aloe vera globs, and then with um, honey and pollen and sangre de grado. Oh, yeah, blood of the arbol, like tree blood. And um, ¿qué es los beneficios de este jugo? Regenera la flora intestinal, gastritis, ardor al estómago, los riñones. So it clears up any inflammations you've got and any sore stomachs and I've got a bit of a cold this morning so hopefully uh, it sorts out a bit of that. There's the egg sandwich. This is a very typical thing a lot of people eat in the morning just on the side of the street on their way to work. And it's a real neighborhood bar so yeah it's really nice place. He's mixing up the drink and soon I think this is going to be the perfect start to the day. Okay, the drink is so globbly, so you kind of have to chew your drink. Mm. It tastes not bad though. I mean, normally if, a, if a, even if it tasted disgusting, you'd still probably drink it because he's just told you how good it is for you. But um, it, it sort of looks like you're drinking a gel. Yeah, yeah, it's like those sort of gels that I drink for cycling. But um, yeah. It's it's um it's kind of nice. It feels kind of weird going down, but uh, hopefully this is the perfect start to a Lima culinary day. We're in the Barranco district in Lima, and we've stepped up to a food stall, and there's lovely uh, meat sizzling on the barbecue. And what I think this is is anticuchos, which everyone sort of talks about. And it's uh, beef hearts on a stick. Oi! The fire is happening. <laughs> so, what is the origin of this comida? Yeah, what's the origin of this? How did it grow? Well, in the in Peru, there were moreno. So, basically, uh, what the origin of this dish? I asked her that and she said that um, it comes from the arrival of African people, um, black people into Peru, who were slaves, unfortunately. And what they were allowed to do is eat the remains of the animal uh, that was left over. And so what they did is they were left with the heart, 
and also here we've got intestine and stomach. It's normally all marinated up with sort of garlic and hot sauce and they often will serve it with ahi on the side, it looks like, and we're getting potatoes with this dish as well. So it's all sizzling away on the grill and it's, yeah, very common street food here and it's very cheap as well. It's only um, 10 soles for a quite a good plate of food. 10 soles, what you're looking at, two pound. And anticocho refers to the skewer, right? Yeah, anticocho is like skewer, so you often see skewers of fish, skewers of meat. It's really great, they, um, they put out a couple of plastic seats for you. Yeah, see, see. Okay, so let's, let's try it. Okay, so first I'm going to have the, uh, the estomago, or... Wow, exquisito, Mmm, okay, the stomach. I normally stay away from all tripe products. This marinade is very muy sabroso. And here is the intestine. Just don't look at it, just eat it. It's actually really delicious. I'm thinking about these sort of off-cut meats in a different way now. The hearts, they're, they're actually sliced as well, so you're not getting like a big chunk of heart on your plate. You're getting a... A little sliver. Mm -hmm. And also, she doesn't cook them for very long at all. No. Okay, the marinade completely makes this. It is absolutely delicious. Quite funny. Mmm. The funny thing was that we were looking for anticuchos on the other side of the plaza and we're getting pointed in the direction of all these uh, fancy restaurants but I think just coming here to the street food stand being cheap cycle tourists was the right thing to do and we've got the proper Lima street food right in the heart of Lima. What better way to wrap up our time in Lima, uh, our, our day of eating and drinking in Lima is to come to uh, Juanitos, Little John's. It's uh, meant to be a Lima institution, it's been open since 1937 and probably the perfect place to try the national drink, the Pisco Sour. So uh, Pisco is, um, I think it dates back from Spanish colonial times it was made in old haciendas and it was kind of like the local fire water but then it's regained popularity in the 20th century and now it's sort of like what all the cool people drink and the one that we're drinking here is an artisanal one so it's from you know, the waiter said oh you won't be able to buy this in the supermarket so it's um, yeah basically nice and uh, uh, you know hipster I guess you know backyard brewery type thing so basically, what is a Pisco Sour? Uh, what is that grape brandy? I think that's what it essentially is. I think that's what the liquor is. And the Pisco Sour is using the grape brandy with lemon juice and the simple syrup, which is probably some concoction that the guys behind the bar here have done. I'm not like Mr. Boozy, uh, so let's see how it tastes. I mean, just kind of, I haven't tasted it yet. I just brought it up to my mouth. I mean, it's in these like cute tumblers. With a bit of like, is it cinnamon or something on top? Oh, bitters. Ah, that's what made the little brown spots in it. But anyway, I brought it, bring it up to my lips and I can just smell that it's mega boozy. I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to be such a softie on this. Okay. 
Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so if you look at the photo of this, it's got like a frothy top, and it's kind of like an ice cream when you have it, You've, or a milkshake. You have the frothy top, and then you get to the actual booze, and it's kind of gone down nicer than I thought. I'm kind of developing a bit of a cold, a bit of a sore throat at the moment, and that's doing the trick. The old piss goes sour. How's it for you, Shelley? Have you tried it? Oh my gosh. New favorite drink. It's good, isn't it? So, yeah, the creamy top and into the real booze and it all just mixes together and just goes down really smooth. It's like, I was really worried when I heard that it was kind of like a fire water. I thought it was going to be like um, Agua Diente, like they had in Colombia. And I had to sort of hold my nose, uh, block my nose in order to like to chuck one back. But this is nice and smooth. This is a good proper national drink. So Shelley, should we have a toast? London to Lima, our cycle touring adventure. Here it is, ending with a Pisco Sour. We're jumping on a plane soon, Baden. What's next for us? It feels pretty strange, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah so uh, we have a very late flight tonight, so we just that's why we're just sort of hanging in the park, chilling out at the moment this morning, and just... Uh, I, I want some ceviche for lunch, maybe. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then we, we have to sort of brave the traffic one more time to cycle out to the airport. It feels really strange, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, like getting Actually, our bikes on the plane. Just talking about it is making me have a funny, nervous feeling in my stomach. Yeah, well, we're gonna not going to make the mistake that we have in past times. We're going to get there well early. I mean, <laughs> with the flight being so late, it kind of necessitates that because we don't want to be cycling in the dark to the to the airport and the crappy traffic so yeah we pack our bikes up and we have an overnight flight and we arrive in Buenos Aires uh, actually I, I'm really cr crap at remembering how to say Buenos, Buenos Aires properly yeah, it's, fine. it's fine I keep saying Buenas uh, yeah. because you often say Buenos Dias but it's Buenos it's Buenos Dias too but it can be buenas dias. Buenas tardes, buenos dias. Oh my god, my Spanish. You wouldn't have thought that I've been in Latin America for God knows how many months now. Eight, eight months or something in Latin America. Oh, I hope we can slow down when we get to um, Argentina. It's yeah. been quite go, go, go in Lima. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Hopefully we get a few days relaxing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Buenos Aires is the sort of place where you just chill out and relax anyway, is it? I mean, it's we're going to have to learn how to stay up late there. I can't do it. Yeah. So I th <laughs> the other plan we've got is we just want to go and relax on the beach. Yeah. And so... March, if we relax on the beach in Uruguay, let's go to Uruguay, yeah. and then um, we have our flight to Queenstown on March the 11th. Oh so gosh. that's just, you know, if it feels strange leaving Lima, you know, without getting without getting on a plane and not cycling further south, it's just going to be so strange hearing those Kiwi accents <laughs> on their Air New Zealand flight back home. Yeah, but, you know, the next podcast is going to come to you from Buenos Aires. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have a bit more of an opportunity to reflect on, on our, you know, our reasons for heading back to Queenstown. And I noticed you made a slightly weird face when you thought about landing in Queenstown, like, ugh. 
<laughs> well, I think I've never been to Queenstown. I'm really looking forward to it. You yeah, know, neither have we've I. got a um, you know a month or six weeks or so of um, cycle touring planned in the South Island. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it will be great. So yeah, we're going to have such great adventures there. But just the whole thing of going back to New Zealand, it's just so and uh, it just feels strange. But we'll talk about that more in the next podcast. <laughs> That's us for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We'd love to know how you are and where you are. And you can you know, leave a comment under this podcast on our blog at howareyouwhereareyou.com. Um, there are also photos on the blog that go along with this podcast, uh, links so you can subscribe to the podcast. Um, of course, we'd be very grateful if you have time to quickly nip onto iTunes and maybe give us some stars or a little review. That would be really helpful. Thank you as always to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast. Callum performs under Runtime. You can find him on SoundCloud. Um, you can find Baden at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram. Um, yeah, we better get on with it. Get on with the show, eh, Bay? Because we've got to go and get, get a flight. Yeah, and edit a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.